This is an ABC podcast. Should esports, basically watching other people play video games, be part of major sporting events like the Commonwealth Games? Well, this week on Download This Show, they were trialled as part of the Commonwealth Games and there's also a push to have esports be part of other major international tournaments too. Plus, the mega-rich Elon Musk, the man behind the electric car company Tesla, is cashing in his shares as he gears up for a potentially quite weird legal war with the social media giant Twitter. And why a robot from the team behind Facebook has some not very nice things to say about the Facebook founder. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, freelance reporter extraordinaire Alice Clark. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. And joining us uh, from Eugene, the founder of Eugene, in fact, Kunal Kalra. Welcome back. Hi, thanks Thanks for having me back. Pleasure is entirely ours. So, uh, those of you that are mad sports fans will note that in the last couple of weeks we had the Commonwealth Games. Uh, but what you might not have known is that during the Commonwealth Games was a trial. A trial to see whether eSports basically watching other people play games could take place alongside traditional sports like swimming and athletics in the Commonwealth Games. Alice, what did the, uh, what did the trial actually look like? Like what, what was actually happening? Well, they just played some Rocket League, some Dota 2 and some eFootball, which, you know, three very nice games. I was surprised at the lack of StarCraft or some League of Legends, but we can't have everything. So... This is a bold question, Alice, but you used to work on an eSports TV show, right? Should eSports be part of things like the Commonwealth Games and the Olympic Games? Should should they have a role in that? <laughs> this debate has been raging for as long as there has been eSports. And for a long time, I was on the side of no. But now I am leaning towards yes. Like, I think we really underestimate how popular esports are, particularly in Asian countries. Mm. Like, the StarCraft 2 League is shown in prime time in South Korea, which obviously is not much of a thing for the Commonwealth Games. But given how popular Twitch is and how many people want to watch other people play video games, why not get people to watch the best of the best and encourage the next generation of esports stars to come up and play for their country rather than playing for their weirdly sponsored team that's selling energy bars? <laughs> Canal, what do you think? Should, uh, should, games, should esports be part of big events like the Commonwealth Games and the Olympic Games? Yes, yes, why not? I mean, it's, uh, I think it's really funny if you ask kids and there are a few videos of you know, people asking kids about what they think. Everyone's answer was, yeah, why not? More people should be allowed to play. It allows everyone to come and join the sport. And if you think about it, that's the way it should be. That's the whole point of Commonwealth Games, the Olympic Games and so on and so forth. If we're trying to strive towards inclusion, why would we exclude esports? I suppose it also comes down to... The, like the point of events like the Commonwealth Games. I mean, the Commonwealth Games is ostensibly 
you know, to, to bring together the Commonwealth and sort of these big events that kind of bind together. Hey, you were invaded by the British. I was invaded by the British. I mean, in that sense, really, do you, do you, need, do you need necessarily to limit the sports? I mean, what else? What else could you define it as? Uh, what else? I mean, do you actually need the sports to necessarily be physical if the underlying purpose of it, uh, Alice, is to kind of bind together groups of people? Yeah, I agree completely. But also, I think there is a perception that esports are not physical sports. But these esports athletes, and I hate calling them athletes, but that's what they are, they have to do actually quite a lot of physical training. They have to be at their physical peak. This is not just something that anyone can do. You can't just sit at the computer for eight hours a day and become an esports star. You also need to be in good shape. Like, it's... There's a lot of training that goes into it that I don't think people know about. Um, what comparing... kind of training? That's fascinating to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to train the muscles in your hands and your arms. You need to really improve your quick reactions because a lot of it is um, twitch reflexes. You also just need to be really healthy. Like it's just one of those things. Like mm. you see esports teams going for runs sometimes, which is like, why are you outside? This isn't your natural habitat. And yet it is. <laughs> Proper esports houses will have gyms. Um, comparing uh, esports to playing video games at home is like comparing backyard cricket to the ashes. Like they're just on different levels. Mm. I'd also like to contest and say, I've seen some baseball stars. I wouldn't call them in peak physical form, so <laughs> it's not exclusive. Yeah. All right. Seen a right. rugby player recently? Other sports. <laughs> I don't want to throw shade at other sports, and I'm probably not going to make any friends with that comment. But I just think that you know it goes to show that people who are trying to strive to be the best in their uh, in their sport of choice, whether it's e or otherwise, uh, have different requirements on what peak physical shape looks like. Exactly. And I think that's reasonable. I also, I think there's something to be said, I, I imagine, and I'm, I'm really just guesstimating here. There's a lot to be said for the, the mental acuity that is required for playing these mm. games, at, you know, for lengthy periods of time. Alice, I mean, what, is that a thing that can be trained for? I think problem solving maths and logic are absolutely things that can be trained for. Otherwise, half the university courses are suddenly pointless. <laughs> Uh, it is something that you need to practice for. You need to work on the meta. Uh, it's not just if I point at this person, a gun will fire and it will shoot them. It's how do I put these buffs on f to get tactics? See, I can't do it because I can't make sentences. But how do I put all <laughs> these different tactics and all these different tools together to reach my goal? This is a skill that we want kids to have this is a great thing to encourage and even if the sports don't require peak physical fitness not everyone is capable of peak physical fitness but most people are capable of thinking to the best of their ability and this encourages that canal there's going to be a bunch of people listening to this and i can kind of visualize it right now that are like just shaking their head in dismay at the radio going, I, what are these people talking about? Like why? Playing a video game should, <laughs> should not be uh, a, a professional, well, should not, be, um, should not be a sport in places like the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games. Like where is the line then, right? So, so you know, there are some sports that are obviously more um, physically strenuous, some sports that are more mentally strenuous, um, you know, some sorts that are all about precision, right? Where should 
the line be? Like, is, is the only reason we're talking about this purely because it involves big commercial games, so like computer games, is that the only reason this is getting talked about? Do you have a line, Gunnar? I think I don't have, or it's uh, the line's a moving target. I think uh, I think it's it should be about where interest is, and this is a digitally native environment, and the next generation of kids that are growing up, they're growing up in that environment. To stick to our hey sports or physical construct is actually not moving ahead with the times. So I think the line should be a moving target, and. My personal opinion is that we should shift that to include esports. And the one thing I will say is that if you see the emotion and joy that was felt on, you know, the players in the Commonwealth Games pilot, that was real joy. That was real emotion. And that was no different from someone who's doing weight train weightlifting or uh, any of the other physical sports that are out there. And so I say why not include it and why not shift the line? I don't have a line. Billiards is a Commonwealth game sport. Billiards is dumb. <laughs> Billiards is very fun, but it's just, it's a weird sport to have in the Commonwealth Games. I wholeheartedly Dear support Billiards you Association, billiards. please address your complaints to <laughs> alice.buck. Uh, well, I, I do think there is one important problem with esports as a concept, and that is that each game is owned by a company that is mm. like selling that game for profit. If the company, like if the AFL goes bankrupt tomorrow, the sport of football will still exist. Like, you can't get rid of Aussie rules. However, if Activision goes down fully tomorrow, everyone who's been training for Call of Duty is suddenly completely irrelevant. And the main sport of esports changes all the time. You can't build a 100-year legacy in uh, Call of Duty Black Ops because there's going to be a new game next year. And it does create some problems with history because, yeah. Is there not a way of potentially viewing that as almost future-proving it as a, as a sport in the sense that it, the, the sport of choice will change over time, which means you'll have new players who kind of rise to the top, new games to interest people, that it will never become potentially boring? Like, is, is there an argument that, the, mm-hmm. that somehow the, the constantly changing arena might actually help it? Yes and no. Like, basketball's still doing pretty well. That's been around for a while. Chess is still doing really well and is really exciting. That's been around forever. Uh, Having the rules constantly shift and having the the entire field constantly shift means that it's harder for fans to find their niche and grab onto it and know that it's still going to be there to buy jerseys for their kids in 10 years. Like, I know I can buy my kids a Bombers jersey. Like, they'll never win, but they can have the jersey. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if I could buy them a jersey for my favourite Overwatch team. Well, it looks like, uh, regardless, the esports are going to be an increasing part of the Commonwealth Games. I think the president of the Commonwealth Games Federation has told the BBC that going forward, this will be a sport within the Games. That's just uh, their personal opinion. So, Canal, I think you might be right. I think it, uh, it is something that will be an increasing part of our Commonwealth diet. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Canal Calro, founder at Eugene and freelance technology journalist Alice Clark. Uh, interesting news this week. Canal, uh, Elon Musk has sent around $6.9 billion US of Tesla shares. Mm. This happens as, um, as a lawsuit with Twitter 
is looming. Are those two things necessarily related, though? I think so. Well, the working theory is, <laughs> yes. And you want to make some assumptions, but then you realize you're talking about Elon Musk and then you're thinking, okay, maybe I should just... Logic has no place assumptions. here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the summary, I suppose, is that the Twitter deal has obviously fallen apart, right? And now everyone's suing each other for breach of contract. So yay, suits flying everywhere. Twitter seems to have a decent leg to stand on in court. And so if they win, Musk will now be forced to actually complete the deal and buy Twitter. And for that, he needs cash. And given that he went on a drive to get equity partners, most of whom probably have lots of leeway in their contracts to just opt out because of the complete train wreck this has become, Musk is still on the line to contribute all of those dollars regardless. So he's on the hook. So, okay, assuming, and it's a big assumption that all of this is is the case, it, this is the plan, this is the strategy, it's, let me just mm. heavily uh, parenthesise that this is a lot of assumptions here, right? Assuming that's the case, uh, yeah. the part I still kind of struggle with, Alice, is this. Why does Twitter want Elon Musk when Elon Musk does not appear to want Twitter? Like, why are we at that stage of this bizarre situation? <laughs> so... Elon Musk has made a fun game out of pretending he's going to buy companies and then not doing it. He's done it before with Tesla uh, take, offering to take it private. This is just something Musk does. However, this time he offered Musk so, uh, he, this time Musk offered Twitter a stupid amount of money, far more money than Twitter is worth. And so Twitter has an obligation to its shareholders to get all of that money for their shareholders. Also, and this is not based on anything other than what I would do if I was Twitter, I think they just think it's really funny for Musk to experience consequences for once in his life. <laughs> just the entertainment like value just, alone is worth it. I feel like we just spent 10 minutes talking about the idea of esports being a new sport at the Commonwealth Games when really we should have been talking about lawsuits as a new sport for the ultra-rich. Could I? This seems like... I mean, if... if again, I'm just going to heavily, heavily preface this with just a mountain of ifs, right? If this is yeah. the strategy, if this is what's going on, then it is absolutely bonkers, Canal. I don't understand why... I, I don't understand why it's reached this point. Like, it seems silly. Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> I wish there was any other way to go about it. But I think that for on Twitter's perspective, their stock price has been going through ups and downs as, as a result of all of the speculation and all of this stuff that Musk has literally brought to their doorstep. And it wasn't a choice of their own, but this is where they are. And so to an extent, I don't even know if they really want Musk to buy them, but there are immense amount of fees to be paid if Twitter wins the lawsuit. And so I reckon they also don't mind just cashing out on all of the expenses that they've had to incur as a result of this entire experience. And I also think that it's time for Musk to be held to a standard that the rest of us live by, which is responsible well, mostly responsible adult behavior in the workplace and must... <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I agree with you there. But how much stuff makes sense in 2023 anymore? I mean, 
I mean, for a year that doesn't technically exist yet, not a lot, to be fair. Um, oh, my God, 2022. Dear Lord. <laughs> See, this is... A... It's all right. It's all right. It's a tech show. We're I'm living already in living future. in the future. It's fine. <laughs> Speaking of the future, look at me, professional broadcaster. There's a segue. Uh, Alice, how... I mean, this is dangerous territory, but how do you think this will play out? Just so I can play this back, this bit of, bit of audio back to you when it inevitably goes somehow, some other direction of pear-shaped. Well, look, I'm the person who in 2007 predicted that people liked their privacy too much to get into Facebook. So I don't know if you want my prediction. (laughs) However, I follow a lot of contract law people on Twitter. And as they were reading through the contract that Musk signed with Twitter, their laughter, you could hear it over the ocean when they read the sentence, the phrase specific performance which means that Twitter can make Musk buy it unless he ha- buy Twitter unless he has a really 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 good reason. Now, of course, no court is going to make Musk do that, no, like say that Musk has to do that knowing that Musk is not actually going to do that because that's going to make a mockery of the court. And it's going to cheapen everything else that goes after that. So what I think the court is going to do is say that Musk has to pay a whole bunch of fines to Twitter. Mm. And Twitter is going to say, thank you very much for your money, and then nothing will happen. And then there'll be more lawsuits trying to get the money, and then they'll, he'll counter sue, and then in the end, nothing will actually change hands, except a bunch of lawyers will have gotten very rich. Well, I mean, there are some constants in the universe. Canal, do you care to make a prediction as to how this strange, strange situation will play out? I, I kind of second that, and I'll add just one more thing. If Twitter wins they'll probably boost their own share price as a result of regular meme stock interest. So what, I think what is there's regular a lot of meme stock interest? Well, you know how people just buy stock and make companies that shouldn't be worth as much money really, really highly valuable, like GameStop. I think this happened a couple of years ago where a bunch of retail investors just decided, we love GameStop. Their business model makes no sense and their profit margins are next non-existent, but let's just buy a lot of stock to boost the stock price. And suddenly GameStop, GameStop is like a high ticket item, right? And so I think that Twitter can ride that trend by using the publicity here. So I think all of the outcomes are going to be pretty similar. It pretty much my prediction would be similar to Alice's, but I think that it'll also boost their stock price significantly. And that's another big win for them. So yeah. Basically because people will think it's it's kind of funny and they'll want to back them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's also important to note that Musk just really likes selling Tesla stocks. Uh, according to TechCrunch, he's already he's sold around $32 billion worth of Tesla stock in the last 10 months. And he'll sell it high, he'll buy it low. This is just what he does. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Mark Fennell is my name. Confused Mark Fennell is, is also how you can refer to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Our guest this week is Alice Clark, freelance technology journalist and Canal Calro, founder at Eugene. And uh, Meta, the company that owns Facebook and Instagram, uh, they have a chat bot which is a little piece of technology where you can communicate with it. It feels like you're talking to a real person, but you're actually talking to artificial intelligence. It's called BlenderBot 3, and it learns. It learns how people communicate. It learns uh, what people are saying online. And sometimes, Alice, that results in some very surprising responses, which is what happened this week. Um, The chatbot was asked 
what it thought of Meta's CEO and founder, the very famous Mark Zuckerberg. And it replied, our country is divided and he didn't help at all, which is an unusual thing for a robot in the service of Facebook to say. Am I right, Alice? You are correct. I'm glad that something at Facebook agrees with me. But yeah, I think Facebook is learning the same lesson that Microsoft learned back in 2016, which is that if you were going to set up a chatbot with AI and allow it to learn from the people on the internet with the most spare time and the biggest access to grind, you are going to have mm. a PR crisis on your hand. Like, I think Microsoft PR people still have nightmares involving the word Tay, a chatbot that oh, yeah, became because... insanely mm. racist and super creepy in 24 hours. That was a very strange, although in retrospect, not entirely unsurprising trajectory. Uh, so some other things that uh, Blenderbot3 said uh, when asked about Mark Zuckerberg, uh, it, told, it told the BBC uh, he did a terrible job at testifying before Congress. It makes me <laughs> concerned about our country. This is, I mean, I, I guess on the one hand, Canal, I'm, I'm impressed. There's uh, some degree of editorial independence in, in Blenderbot3. Is it, like, can I take that idea away from it? Well, uh, yeah, I I, th- I say why not? I mean, most of the, well, or you could take away the idea. I've become that, really you know, Pollyanna-ish even... in this episode. I don't know why. <laughs> you have joy That's a and positive hope. take. I love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say the other the other takeaway is that they're not even in control of what the chatbot is saying, which is a different type of dystopian Skynet future. So. <laughs> It could go either way. Um, but what, what I will say is, like, finally a straight answer from someone in Meta, which is exciting. Uh, the <laughs> second thing is, we haven't had that in years. This is progress no. in that way. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I think that it's really, uh, look, it's, it's kind of challenging. I, I know why they're putting it out there, right? Because they need data from diverse interactions. I think that if the only data that chatbots use is large publicly available language data, you end up getting data sets that are full of language from vocal minorities that sit on the extremes of any opinion, uh, because they tend to be the loudest opinions. And that's where the data is actually coming from. And that's where the chatbot's learning from. And so what we actually need to do in this space to advance the technology is to open it up so that you're having more diverse types of interactions with different types of people that aren't sitting on the extremes. And so it makes sense that even though Facebook would know some kind of this type of event was very predictable, but it was still the right move to advance the technology, I think. And don't they realise that vocal minority is my entire career plan? Can I, like, what are they, what is Blenderbot supposed to do? Like, are they going to farm it out as a, as a tool for people to use in their websites? Like, what, why would you build a thing like this? So in terms of eventual use cases, they're sort of limitless. And I can kind of talk about a couple that I know that have worked really well in the current climate. Uh, but what I would say is that this is 0.01 version 0.01 of these types of technologies. And so the application of chatbots is still quite into the distant future, I think. Uh, for Facebook, the reason why they released BlenderBot is just to collect more data. So they, they have so much data that they've used to build this version of the chatbot. The next few versions of the chatbot can only be built if they have a lot more data of interactions with people. So by releasing it into the public, even though they're not in control of their commentary and reactions by the chatbot, the chatbot is learning through those interactions. So it's getting better every day. 
In terms of the final use case, chatbots are really, really have a really amazing have really amazing potential in terms of where they can go. And so I've seen companies in healthcare like Ada that have used chatbots to do detailed symptom assessments. And so, it, of course, it's not replacing a healthcare professional, but it really helps you think through your own symptoms in way more detailed ways than you otherwise would by asking all these incisive questions. And then it provides really good guidance that you can take to your doctor and do a much better job at advocating for yourself at the doctor's office. And so you've seen in healthcare these application, uh, applications of chatbots applied really, really practically and really thoughtfully Obviously, I'm not saying Facebook is doing that or will do any of that thoughtfully, but it can be done thoughtfully. Mm. I guess it's an interesting situation that they're in, in the sense that the moment you put out a chatbot of any kind, and I think, you know, the example you offered up earlier back in 2016, as you mentioned, uh, Microsoft had to kind of apologize because it's... um, it's chatbot learned how to be racist on Twitter, just like we all do. Um, but, you know, I, I think they're in an unusual position where they've had to kind of do this risk-reward ratio, Alice, of like, well, in mm. order to put something out in the world, you run the risk of it saying something offensive or, or, or learning something that's uh, not in line with the company line. Uh, but you also need to do that for data. <laughs> like, how would they have been weighing up that idea, Alice? Like, why is the data more important than the, I guess, the potential reputational risk? Well, I don't know. The fact that they keep on, like companies keep on doing this and they don't keep learn from the previous thing. This was Blenderbot 3, so presumably there were two failed ones before this one. Surely... We don't know. Somebody... Yeah, we don't talk about Blenderbot 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah, no. They got really racist. But surely one of these major companies that have access to all of the data in all of the world. Facebook has access to more data than almost any other company. Surely they can work out a better way of doing this. Like, this isn't a new technology. Chatbots have been around for a long time. They can't just keep on going, oh, well, if we train it using AI, surely everything will be fine. No, the internet is a dumpster fire. It is not going to be fine. Train it on Jane Austen books or newspapers or something. Just random people on the internet is not a good way to train this. So, yes, they got more data, but I don't know what they've advanced doing this because we seem to be back six years ago once more. But it is still very funny, so I would like more of that, even if it is a bad idea. Kanal, how do you think uh, they would have been weighing up the risk-reward ratio inside Meta for something like this? Yeah, I think the context would be what's the future potential of the chatbot and what it needs to actually get there. So that's your reward category. And what's it worth to Facebook? I mean, to be honest, Facebook's most likely application of a chatbot is to sell you more stuff. Right, so I think there's like good financial benefit there. Uh, on the risk side, it's PR cycles exactly like this. I think if I was in the mm. room, I would probably weigh up the reward of just putting it out there, take the PR cycles with you on the chin, and communicate to people that it's a learning tool, which is exactly what they've done. So I was going to say, Facebook has learned that there's really no great cost to PR nightmares. They have, there's a new PR nightmare for them every week. This probably isn't much of a blip on their radar. No, I mean, in the grand scheme of things with Facebook, this would probably not even make the top 2,000, really, would it? Now, and with that, we are out of time. Canal Calro, uh, founder of Eugene, thank you so much for joining us on Download This Show. Thank you so much for having me back. And Alice Clark, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Always good to be here. Alice Clark is a freelance technology journalist and my name is Mark Fennell. Thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show. <laughs>